Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Dr. Harlan Betts, and I am delighted to welcome you to Wisdom from Above, where we go beyond the reasoning of man to the revelation of God. This eighth season is a study of the book of Revelation. This book is loaded with stunning predictions, powerful promises, and practical applications. We have just recently investigated the false trinity of Satan as the anti-God, the dynamic leader of the revived Roman Empire as the Antichrist, and the false prophet as the anti-spirit. Sadly, Many will blindly follow this unholy trinity during the seven years of the tribulation. Today's episode introduces us to the scarlet harlot. A king saw one of his soldiers riding into town with several donkeys loaded down with spoils and slaves in tow. The king asked, What have you been doing? The warrior said, I've been out fighting in your name, king. I was pillaging and plundering your enemies to the west. The king looked at the warrior and said, But I have no enemies to the west. Well, said the warrior, you do now. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm afraid that our Lord may be looking at the organized church of today's world and asking, What have you been doing? And the church will say, We've been out uniting all people into your church, even those who reject the authority of Scripture, deny the deity of Christ, and suggest there are other ways to eternal life besides Jesus. And God would say, That is not my church. Well, this will be even more evident during the tribulation. Revelation chapter 17 talks about religious Babylon. Revelation chapter 18 talks about commercial Babylon. So here in chapter 17, we read about the scarlet harlot. Clues are given in verses 1 through 6. Further explanation of the mysteries is found in verses 7 through 18. Who is this scarlet harlot? Clue number one. She is unfaithful to God. She is called the great prostitute. Just as a prostitute offers momentary satisfaction, but does not offer love or faithfulness or commitment, even so the prostitute in this passage points to a religious organization or system that claims to worship God, but is actually unfaithful to him. This passage refers to, as it says, the punishment of this great prostitute. In the Old Testament literature and prophetic literature, prostitution and adultery were equal to idolatry and they denoted religious apostasy. The scarlet harlot, this great prostitute in Revelation chapter 17, pictures a one-world religious system that is not truly worshiping God. She is unfaithful to God. Clue number two, she has universal influence. In verses one or two, it is clear that the scarlet 
prostitute exercises great power and influence over the governments of the world. For the Bible says, With her the kings of the earth committed adultery. They joined her in her false worship and faithlessness to the true God. In addition, this verse tells us that people all over the world are influenced, yes, even intoxicated by her teachings and her philosophies. It reminds me of a passage in Corinthians that says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Well, rather than being filled with the Spirit, they're filled with the influence and philosophy and teaching of the great prostitute. She's intoxicating and controlling mankind with false teaching, corrupt practices, a prostitute religion. Clue number three, she's riding the beast. In this passage, the great harlot is associated with a beast with seven heads and ten horns. We've already discovered that the beast with seven heads and ten horns is the Antichrist. So this great harlot is riding the scarlet beast, the Antichrist. She manipulates and uses the Antichrist, or perhaps it is that the Antichrist allows her to use him and supports her for a time. But it's only for a time, as will be revealed later. Clue number four. She's externally adorned. She's dressed in purple and scarlet, glittering with gold and precious stones and pearls, a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. She is clothed in scarlet, which was a popular color in the Roman Empire, indicating luxurious and haughty splendor. And she's covered with gold and diamonds and pearls, characterized by ecclesiastical pomp and ostentatious extravagance, outwardly attractive to those who see her, but the beauty is only external. She's filled with immorality. She is filled with idolatry. She's externally radiant, but internally rotten. Like a prostitute, she is outwardly enticing, but inwardly corrupt. And she draws these people after her and to her into immorality and idolatry. Clue number five, she is mystery Babylon the Great. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. The fact that this is a mystery makes it clear that there's more here than meets the eye. There's something deeper than what is seen on the surface. Remember the silver rule of Bible interpretation. Scripture is its own interpreter. The original ancient Babylon, situated just north of the Persian Gulf on the Euphrates River in what is now called Iraq, Babylon became a corrupt city and was center of idolatry in the ancient world. And in fact, it was the place where God brought great confusion and scattered the people. Well, just as Babylon conquered and controlled Judah in the Old Testament, Rome conquered and controlled Judah in the New Testament. 
Therefore, most scholars understand the term Babylon as a code name for Rome. We see the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, where Peter uses the term Babylon to refer to Rome. The woman in this vision is a mystery. She is what the city was spiritually. She is the heart and soul of idolatrous religion. She's the false one-world religion centered in a city. And later in this chapter, in verse 18, we'll go ahead and look at that, it refers to that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. The word reigns is in a present tense. That great city which is now reigning over the kings of the earth. Rome was clearly that city in John's day. Rome was clearly reigning over the kings of the earth in John's day. So this great prostitute is the one world religion centered in Rome. This great prostitute is the mother of prostitutes. Her offspring are all the other false religions that are now coming together. A new world religion of peace and cooperation has already been endorsed by the Pope, the Dalai Lama, and the World Council of Churches. Protestants and Catholics and Mormons and Eastern religions are coming together in a great ecumenical movement. The New Age movement has infiltrated the church. Mother Earth worship is on the rise. Satan worship is on the rise. Globalism is on the rise. They all talk about being loving and seeking peace and becoming one and being interconnected. But they also all deny the true God of love, the true Prince of Peace, and the one way to eternal life. Clue number six, she is a persecutor of Christians. In verse six, it says, I saw the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. This woman, the scarlet harlot, the one world religion centered in Rome, kills the saints. The term saints is a reference to those believers who placed their faith in Jesus and took a stand for Jesus during the tribulation. We read more about this in verse 9 and verses 13 and 14. The scarlet harlot not only kills them, she is drunk with their blood. She kills them with reckless joy and abandon. Drunk with their blood. It's evident that this scarlet harlot, this false one-world church, will not put up with those who oppose her and reveal her falsehood or expose her wickedness. She reacts to those who preach the truth by executing them, and then she delights in their death. Upon seeing this vision, John was shocked and stunned. It's hard to see believers being executed, persecuted, and martyred in this way, especially by one who claims to be the church. This one world church has been transformed from a spiritual organization that promotes Jesus 
and biblical values to a secular organization that promotes secular social values. I shouldn't say the one world church, but the church. The church itself is transformed from a spiritual organization to a secular organization in this one world church. The explanation is found now in verses 7 to 18. The scarlet harlot is religious Babylon. Then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast she rides. And once again, we see that the mysteries in the book of Revelation are often explained. He says, I will explain to you the mystery of the woman. The scarlet harlot is religious Babylon, the false, ecumenical, one-world religion centered in the city of Rome. This book is designed to clarify, not to mystify. The scarlet harlot is the heart and soul of the ecumenical, one-world, idolatrous religion. The scarlet harlot is the heart and soul of the one-world, one-church, work-your-way-to-heaven religion. It is a one-world religion that has succumbed to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, and it is filled with immorality and idolatry. This new, final, and previously unrevealed form of religious idolatry and immorality will be revealed as apostate religions of all kinds join hands and unite to form a one-world, one-church organization. It will be luxurious, and it will be appealing externally. Christianity Today revealed that the World Council of Churches was formally constituted at its first ecumenical assembly held in Amsterdam in 1948. 1900 years after the completion of the New Testament. 1900 years, over 1900 years after the ministry of Christ. The motto, One World, One Church, was adopted by the World Council of Churches. One World, One Church. In 1996, San Francisco became the gathering place for 60 religious leaders from around the world seeking to sign a charter of united religions. The San Francisco Chronicle quoted Episcopal Bishop William Swing, who said, I am convinced that the time is ripe for a global initiative to call the world's religions together. According to CatholicCulture.org, the plans for the United Religions Organization, a one-world church, is about to become institutionalized. Collaborating on the deals, the details are Bishop William Swing of the Episcopal Diocese of California, the Communist Gorbachev Foundation USA, and certain leaders of the Catholic Church, working through interreligious organization known as the World Conference on Religion and Peace. Plans for the formation of the United Religion were first revealed by Bishop Swing at a syncretic service held to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the signing of the United Nations Charter. And according to San Francisco's Grace Episcopal Cathedral, uh, representatives of all religions, as well as political and spiritual luminaries, like Princess Margaret of Britain, Anglican Archbishop Desmond Tutu of South Africa, and then President Lech Walesa of Poland and UN Secretary General Boutros Boutros-Ghali were all present. This United Religions organization is pantheistic, has a mixture of earth worship, globalism, theosophy, 
occultism, psychedelic drugs, love-ins, and anti-population sentiments. The focus on interconnectivity is so strong that those who do not subscribe will be held accountable by the world religious authorities for causing disunity and strife. New Ager Alice Bailey said, The churches in the West need to realize that basically there's only one church, but it's not necessarily the Orthodox Christian institution. God works in many ways, through many faiths and religious agencies. This is one reason for the elimination of non-essential doctrines, like the reappearance of Christ. The intelligent seeker, according to Alice Bailey, is moving out from under doctrinal authority and to direct personal spiritual experiences. Once again, we see this appeal to experience over Scripture. It is an incredibly dangerous and slippery path that we're being tempted to take. It sounds so delightful, but it is so deadly. By the time of the rapture and during the tribulation, this one world, one church movement will be reaching epidemic proportions. So the scarlet harlot, the great prostitute, is the one world church. Religious Babylon. The scarlet beast is the Antichrist, the dynamic leader of the revived Roman Empire. Verse 8 says, The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss to go to its destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. Does that sound familiar? Well, it should. We read about it in Revelation 13. It described the supposed death and resurrection of the Antichrist. So the Scarlet Beast is the Antichrist, the dynamic leader of the revived Roman Empire. And the one world ecumenical religion is riding the beast. Then verse 9 says, This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are the seven hills on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. He must remain for only a little while. The beast who once was and now is not and is an eighth king. He belonged to the seven and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. Okay, that sounded uh, a little bit complicated. Let's break it down. The seven heads, he says, are the seven hills or mountains on which he sits. The seven mountains are really seven kingdoms or empires. We read David referring to it this way, and Daniel in Daniel 2 tells about different empires. And so we have one, Egypt, two, Assyria, three, Babylon, four, Medo-Persia, five, Greece, so five have fallen, as it says. And then we have six, Rome, which now is, during John's day, the reigning empire. And then seven will be the revived Roman Empire, which is yet to come and will be headed by the Antichrist. And then we read about ten horns that are ten nations headed by ten kings. We read about that in Daniel 7. It's a revived Roman Empire. 
and uh, ten horns or ten kings. The seventh king is the revived Roman Empire under the Antichrist. And the eighth is the revived Roman Empire under the resurrected Antichrist. And he will rule and reign over this ten-nation confederacy. And the other kings will receive power, uh, the power to reign, and, and they will give their power to the leadership of the Antichrist. Then in verse 14, we read about the Battle of Armageddon at the end of the tribulation. They will wage war against the Lamb. They, the Antichrist and his revived Roman Empire, will wage war against the Lamb. The Lamb is, of course, the Lamb of God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. And the Lamb will triumph over the revived Roman Empire because he is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And with him will be his called, his chosen, his faithful. So, at the second coming, this is, this is actually a preview of coming attractions. And it will be explained further in Revelation chapter 19. But for now, he goes ahead and tells us that Jesus Christ, when he comes back, as the Lamb of God, but also as the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, will triumph over the Antichrist and the uh, revived Roman Empire. And those that are coming back with the Lamb, he says, are called chosen and faithful. This is a reference to the believers, the church-age believers who come back with Christ at his second coming. They are called, (coughs) called out, that's their position, a term actually used for the church, the called out ones. They are chosen. That's a reference to their person. They're part of God's family. And they are faithful. This is referring to their practice. Please note that the church is already with the Lamb at this time, having been raptured out after chapters 2 and 3 and never to be seen in any of the tribulation and verses 6 through 19, but then they will return with Christ in chapter 19. They're not found in 6 through 18. Now we read about the destruction of, that's the destruction of the uh, Antichrist and revived Roman Empire when they're uh, conquered by Christ. But verses 15 18 talks about another destruction, the destruction of the Scarlet Harlot which actually takes place in the middle of the tribulation. We read about it in verses 15 and 16. The angel said to me, The waters which you saw, where the prostitutes sit, are the peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. So he's explaining what he meant by the waters. The people, multitudes, nations, and languages. And the beast and ten horns which you saw will hate the prostitute. She rides him the first three and a half years, But then he hates her, and he brings her to ruin, and leaves her naked, and they will eat her flesh and burn her with fire, so the scarlet harlot will be made desolate. They'll take away all of her wealth, all of her royal robes, all of her glorious splendor, all of her ministerial vestments, and she'll be exposed for her moral corruption. She'll be eaten like wild dog devoured the body of Jezebel, 
or possibly conquered and consumed as Satan wants to do with believers. And she'll be burned, this is often done in New Testament times, in order to remove any reminder or remembrance of someone. So this is what the Antichrist, at the middle of the tribulation, turns against the false one-world church, overthrows it, and he sets himself up as God in the temple. And why did he do this? Well, according to verse 17, God has put her into their heart. Whose heart? The ten kings who reigned under the Antichrist, the revived Roman Empire, to accomplish his purpose. What purpose? To rid the world of this diabolical, pseudo-one-world religious system by agreeing to hand over hand her over to the beast until God's word is fulfilled. So, um, the Antichrist allows this one world ecumenical religious movement to ride his coattails for the first three and a half years, but then he turns against her. I want to wrap this up by highlighting three things we need to know. Number one, we need to know our times. Jesus once rebuked the Pharisees because they didn't know the signs of the times. Do you? One of the very clear signs of our time is a push towards a one world, one church religion. There are countless religious leaders promoting ecumenical unity at the expense of biblical teachings. In 1969, the director of ecumenical affairs for the National Council of Churches wrote that the Roman Catholic Church and the major Protestant churches, as a start, should recognize the existence of a general church membership. This would hasten the unification of all churches into one super body. The World Council of Churches starting with uh, uh, just a few denominations, now have 352 denominations. It's an economical conglomeration of all denominations, preaching peace, proclaiming love, promoting unity, preventing starvation, but perverting truth, and actually doing evil, promoting idolatry and immorality. At a clergy conference in Atlanta, Dale Schlafer, a vice president of pastoral ministry, said it's exciting to see the denominational barriers coming down. And he talked about the movement he was involved in, not just sponsoring trans-denominational and transracial gatherings, but creating a new paragram, par- excuse me, creating a new paradigm built on relationships, not doctrine. Did you hear that? It's a new trans-denominational, transracial gathering built on a new paradigm, built not on relationships, or built on relationships, not doctrine. This conference included pastors representing the World Council of Churches, National Council of Churches, Pentecostal, Charismatic, Evangelical, Mormon, and Catholic. According to the Dallas Morning News, Dr. Reverend Richard Ream of the Reformed Church of America said, I believe the scope of God's grace extends beyond the Christian community. Ream also wrote that he believes God saves non-Christians apart from Christ. A former evangelical Clark Pinnock, writing in more than one way, published by Zondervan, writes, God has been at work saving human beings before Jesus was born, and he does so where Jesus has not been named I welcome Silva Sedanta literature of Hinduism, which celebrates a personal God of love, and the emphasis that I see in the Japanese Shinsu Amida sect, 
I also respect the Buddha as a righteous man and Muhammad as a prophet figure in the style of the Old Testament. Here we have formerly evangelical people proclaiming that it doesn't matter if you're Hindu or Buddhist or Muslim or whatever you are, you can be saved and you can be saved from apart from Christ. Dr. L. E. Maxwell in The Prairie Overcomer said, let's face it, the fever of one universal church fills the air. The plague spreads. It sweeps Christendom and is appealing even to Mohammedans. It often manifests itself in ominous outbursts of deep religious emotion. What will be the consummation of this religious fever? We can expect only a huge religious monopoly, a veritable juggernaut, to emerge from this obsession for a super church. So we need to know the signs of the time. Second, we need to know God's word. Truth is an essential part of unity. We're to worship God in spirit and in truth. Jesus is truth. God's word is truth. Genuine revival is based on truth. God's church is based on truth. The Bible must be our authoritative guide for all matters of faith and practice. And this shift away from the truths of Scripture is heartbreaking. My heart aches for formerly fundamental churches, whose leaders are now saying things like this, and I'm quoting, I don't think God cares if we're Christian or Muslim or Buddhist. Well, the Bible makes it clear that God does care. The Bible, speaking about Jesus Christ, says, There is salvation in no other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. My heart aches for people in churches whose leaders are condoning homosexuality and condemning evangelism. Bishops of a major denomination opposed evangelism on the basis that it is wrong and arrogant to suggest that Jesus is the only way of salvation. And yet Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus himself said, there is no other way. Are they saying he was wrong? Are they saying he was arrogant? Obviously, they are. My heart aches when I learn that the majority of churches are comfortable with the World Conference of Religions claim that our ground of belief is social and political peace. Well, God says there is no peace for the wicked. My heart aches when I hear church after church is turning to experience as a criteria for authenticity. Just because something happened to you or to someone else doesn't mean it's a valid spiritual experience. The scripture must always remain the final authority for what is real and right and for what is unreal and wrong. It's scary to see so many books and hear so many speakers who twist or distort or simply ignore scripture and stand on experience. It's sad to see so many people caught up in hyper-emotionalism and sloppy theology. This tragic and heartbreaking shift away from a belief in the deity of Christ, away from the inerrancy of Scripture, away from the trust in Christ as the only way of salvation, is a sign of the times, and it's paving a way for the leadership of the Antichrist and the ministry of the false prophet. We must know the word. Don't let anyone lead you to believe that you must choose between unity and truth. That is a false dichotomy. God's word commands us, 
and His love compels us to be committed to unity and truth. Those two words that are at the root of every true revival. But we should never sacrifice purity of doctrine for unity of organization. I've heard people say doctrine is divisive. Yes, doctrine does divide. Doctrine divides us from error. Doctrine divides us from falsehood. Doctrine also unites. It unites us with all who believe in God and His Word and His Son. Jesus wants us to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And number three, we need to know God's will. If your church teaches the gospel is liberating the oppressed, get out. If your church accepts or supports LGBTQ agenda, get out. If your church is willing to unite with all other religions, get out. If your church says it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're kind, get out. If your church is throwing out all or part of the Bible, get out. We need to know God's will. God's will is that we trust in Christ and Him alone for eternal life because salvation comes only through Christ. God's will is that we grow in faith by studying the Word and becoming like Christ. And God's will is that we stand firm in the truth, holding fast to sound teaching, holding fast the faithful Word. Too many churches are just wanting to fit in, wanting to avoid offending, going along to get along. The great evangelical disaster is compromise. Instead of using the Word as their guide, far many, too many churches are using the world as their guide. And consequently, they have compromised truth for error. Instead of having lives characterized by a biblical tone, they have lives characterized by a comfort zone. They stay comfortably removed from the world, but slide down the moral and spiritual tubes with the world, just keeping themselves a safe, comfortable distance behind. Instead of loving God and confronting worldliness, we're loving the world and compromising godliness. My dear fellow Christians, we are enlisted as soldiers in the army of Christ. We are in a spiritual battle, a battle between good and evil, a battle between light and darkness, a battle between God and Satan, a battle between truth and falsehood. Beloved children of God, we must stand firm in the truth, speak the truth in love, and show the love in action. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of Wisdom from Above. I'm honored that you're part of my listening family. Please share this podcast with your family and friends. I look forward to meeting with you each week. And next week, we'll look at commercial Babylon and the upcoming financial control of the Antichrist. This is Dr. Harlan Betts, wishing you a great week and God's blessings. Thank you for joining me in this passionate quest for wisdom from above.